Yeah, Hel- let's do it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Coffee and Comics. I'm Todd A. I'm Taylor Trask. Hey, we're on video. Hello. We are. This is a unique thing. I'm glad that uh, we did all this testing beforehand, and then I make sure that the mic is like covering up half of my face. I actually yep. thought I, I yep. had it arranged better before, but I- I'll work with it over the episode. Um, so... We, normally we talk about some coffee, we talk about some comics, uh, but we're a little behind the scenes here. Um, we're recording this in the evening, yes. uh, not on Sunday morning as we like to do. Uh, do you want to? Do you want to tell me about a coffee experience you've had? <laughs> Are <laughs> like you therapy. drinking coffee right now? I I went out and got oh I'll go this way. I I went out and got a bog standard uh, Pike's Place blend from Starbucks because blend, now blend when you say blend what do you mean or like a roast that's what you yeah, mean the Pike's yeah. okay sorry I thought maybe you blended it with something interesting I just say blend because I add cream and that's that's my <laughs> blend and I went to Starbucks because my little local coffee shop down the street which is Sonder um, does not do drip coffee in the afternoons anymore which made me very confused and. Yeah, exactly. I kind of left. I just went, okay, and immediately left. And I, as I was walking out, the, the barista was like, we're sorry. And I drove over to Starbucks. I'm like, give me your Pike's Place, I guess. I used to love Pike's Place, so it's not terrible. It's just so uneventful. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, my friend Chris uh, told me he was enjoying our episodes of Coffee and Comics, but he was disturbed by my allegiance to Starbucks. So I'm glad I'm not the Starbucks one. Um, I got two coffee experiences to tell you about. Number one is, I'm glad you had a prop because I brought one too, uh, is I grabbed some uh, Keen coffee. It's a local um, uh, Orange County roaster here. And this mm-hmm. smells so delicious. Like my entire, uh, this is this is pretty much the only room that I have. And uh, it, it all smells like this coffee. And I'm so excited um, to make this and have it tomorrow. But They should make a candle, a Keen candle. Oh my God. I, I just want to leave this out in the room, you know, but we did. Um, my second experience is that we had this scheduled for Sunday morning and then we decided we're going to bump it for to Sunday evening. And so Sunday morning, I went to this place called bad coffee for, uh, what they advertise as a killer cup of Joe. And I had a, a delicious iced vanilla latte there. Um, and then I wrote this down, I wrote in my journal, I wrote delicious, just milky enough, not too sweet. I could actually tolerate more coffee taste in my iced coffee. So there you go. It's like, it's like a wine notes book. It's like you're a sommelier, like sampling wine. Like mm. <laughs> I made a coffee and comics page. It's like, here's my coffee review. Here's my comic review. I'm ready to go. So, like that. but this week we're going to start with you. Oh, what my- is your, Oh, should we sum up what the show does first? Yes. Mm-hmm. Tell okay. folks what we do here uh, on coffee. Yeah, I'll tell. So we, what we do is uh, each week we um, Taylor and I pick one book, um, generally like a trade paperback graphic novel sort of thing. Uh, comic book that is, and we talk about it. Uh, I think Taylor's, Taylor is going to break that rule this week, but we're not keeping up with the brand new news. We're just telling you something that we like and want to talk about. So Taylor, what have you got for us this week? Well, the reason, Todd, that we're recording on a Tuesday night instead of Sunday morning is because I had the great idea to read single issues this week. And then as I was reading, I thought, you know, I can't just do one single issue. I've got to do three. But then I thought, no, because of the way I chose my issues, I should do two. And it's very fitting that I do two because it is a double feature this week. And it's actually the last issue of a long running series by an, a writer or creator. And the first issue of a brand new series by that same creator. And of course I'm talking about Invincible number 144 and Oblivion Song number one by good old Robert Kirkman. Uh, Robert Kirkman, he, for those- kind of an unknown, right? We don't know anything about yeah, him. Yeah. No hits on his hands. New kid on the block. You know, it's a, he's an yeah. aspiring young upstart. I think he has got a, a bright future ahead of him. But no, if you, if you really, if you've never heard of Robert Kirkman, creator of The Walking Dead, and actually one of the, in fact, I think he's the only guy who um, rose up the ranks and became a partner at Image. Um, there's the original group of guys who started Image, and there's many documentaries that that explain that. And then Kirkman is like one of the only modern creators to become one of those guys. So he, you know, he became he joined the gods in Valhalla, if you will. But <laughs> um, I, I love I love the, uh, Kirkman because I would say other than Jonathan Hickman, which is very similar to say, other than Jonathan Hickman, he's the most prolific kind of creator I've sort of I've run into on the indie scene. Um, Jonathan Hickman has any anywhere from six to seven ongoing series at any time. 
just on the indie side. Then you throw in all his work at Marvel. Robert Kirkman's kind of the same thing. Like Robert Kirkman, it's not enough that he just works on Walking Dead, which is on issue number 799 or whatever it is. He's <laughs> got to have an entire 10-year series and then six or seven other series on top of that that he's working on. I don't know where the guy finds the time, but let's start with Invincible because this is a, a, a series I've been a fan of for at least two or three years. I came into it somewhat late and actually came into it via one of those image comics sales we always talk about. If you listen to past episodes of the Todd and Taylor show, you'll hear us talk about image. And there was one that they put out that was sort of the, the invincible guidebook, if you will, or I actually, it was an issue that had like two or three pages at the beginning that caught you up on six years of invincible up to that point. So it was really, really easy to jump in and goes, and they were really kind of tongue in cheek about it too. Like there was apparently this entire arc that was like this crazy war and they'll just reference it in that, in that little sort of guide. They'll be like, and then some crazy stuff happened. Uh, people died. And like, that's, that's, that's how they'll go through it. So I really got hooked into the story and I was able to go back and kind of catch back up on, on certain things that I was interested in, but have been following it consistently ever since. And we've been waiting, waiting, waiting for the very final issue. Um, and this is it. This is the end of it. And it's, it's the double sized final issue. And he, he says the best double sized final issue of all time. Um, because the sort of their cheeky headline is always with Invincible, the best comic book of all time. It's they really kind of go out of their way to really, you know, do do it old school. And I love this book because it's Robert Kirkman puts everything he loves about the superhero genre into this book, which is interesting because if you listen to past episodes of the show, you'll kind of know I am much more a fan of indie avant-garde, very artistic. Uh, series usually. It's not that I hate superheroes or I'm not against. I just, they're not as interesting to me. But then like I pick up this and it's got every trope and cliche you can think of. And I love it. I don't know if it's just because it's not the same characters we've always been talking about. That might be part of it. It's also the, the, the art is always really good too. Like well, that, they really kind of nail the art. Because I always think of when I've seen Invincibles before, I've thought it's too superhero-y for me. Like it's yeah. super superhero-y. Yeah. So for you to be drawn to, and I, I believe one time you picked up a, a, a big collection when I was with you, and I, I, you know, even then I was stunned. Like, <laughs> why are you, why are you buying this comic book that's about like the superiest superheroes? Yeah, it, and it, it very much is, but it's, it's, it really deals with some gritty stuff too. Like, uh, again, there's over 144 issues, so dive in wherever. But at one point in the maybe two or three years ago, kind of right before I jumped in like the main guy, the main hero, invincible Mark, he's raped by another, by a female superhero character. And it's really traumatic. So it's like, it does the most superhero things of all time, as you said, but it also really is not afraid to do crazy deep and serious and, you know, uh, just not expected subject matters and topics and things. You know, there's a lot of, um, you know, talk about infidelity sometimes like Mark goes away into like a, 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 in another sort of arc, he gets sucked into kind of an alternate time stream. He comes back and it's been for him, it's been just a couple of weeks, but for his wife and daughter, it's been like two or three years. So he learns that his wife, you know, took on somebody else while he was gone. So like little things like that, which again, I'm not saying, you know, obviously Iron Man has dealt with Tony Stark's, um, you know, drug habits. All of that stuff is there too. But for whatever weird reason, because this is a little indie pick and in it's image, I just, I am predisposed to it. Um, this particular, so would you say, oh, sorry. sorry, would you say that it is, um, uh, you know, is it a, like rated for adults or is it uh, yes. <laughs> more all ages? Oh, okay. Definitely. So is I, it, uh, I mean, do you get, is it that, um, you know, the comic book we mention all the time, is it like that dark night take on uh, superheroes where it's, it's really deconstructing them and making them uh, really dark humans? Yes, but not, it doesn't, it doesn't dwell in the darkness. It's very bright and very colorful. Oh. And I, th I would say it's more, if you're a fan of Kingsman or anything, Mark Millar or Mark Miller, however you pronounce that name. If you're a fan of Mark Miller, kick-ass Kingsman, it's much more like that where it's bright and crazy and intense, but also batshit crazy. And it doesn't, it never stops or slows down. Um, I mean, there's some, there's some very, very graphic, violent scenes. Like when somebody, you know, when, when two characters are fighting, like the, the amount of, of gore and just violent. I mean, it's, it's, it's shocking even for me. Um, but again, if you like kick-ass, if you like Kingsman, you'll really be at home here. Um, I like this particular issue and I'm not going to give away too much because 
a lot. They wrapped up the biggest story arc a couple issues ago. So the last two or three heading up to the end have been more about, um, you know, loose ends and tidying things up. But this particular book is great because it, it delves into two things we really haven't talked much about, which are Mark, the main character, Invincible, his two kids. And his daughter is on the cover. And I love this cover because it's an homage to the very, very first. It's, a, and it's an homage to issue number one. And instead of the daughter, it's Mark in the same sort of pose and the same sort of colors. So this is his daughter capping it off, which is kind of cool. But it's two storylines that we see kind of carried out. It's his daughter and what she, you know, and basically following her on the next 20 to 30 years of her life. And it's his illegitimate son from that rape that I just mentioned. Um, because the mo- the woman, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. If you haven't read it yet, this isn't a, this is a kind of spoilery thing. So just if you haven't read it yet, maybe fast forward a minute or two. But the woman... <laughs> The woman who does rape Mark, she ends up dying, sacrificing herself. And then so the, he le- she leaves behind this son who she, he's got a stepdad who's kind of been watching over him too. So Mark finds out that that's his son. The son finds out that Mark's his dad. So you see, and Mark and his people leave Earth at the end of the last issue. So you get to see what happens when his son's left behind. They have a conversation. You get to see the son grow up and kind of follow in Mark's shoes, but still takes his own path. And then you get to see what happens to his daughter who comes with them and what that turns into. And they come back and visit and stuff too, but you get to see these kind of two very different paths of these two kids who are similar, but you have very different backgrounds. All the while, you get to see what happens with Mark, who has now inherited the Viltrumite Empire. Um, Mark is a member of the Viltrumite race, very similar to Dragon Ball Z and the Saiyans, um, if, you, if you get that reference, like a lot of similarities to the Saiyans. So Mark is kind of like the Goku, if you will, of this whole thing. And so he's b- basically inherited the job because his father, who was the emperor, spoilers again, ends up dying in kind of the big, in the big arc. So Mark takes that on. And you get to see what he does with that job because it was kind of a big surprise to see him go, oh, he's now the emperor. What's he going to do? So you get to see that play out while you get to while you watch the story of his uh, daughter and, and his son back on Earth. And it's really, really cool. Um, you know, you get to really see him fulfill his father's dream, you know, take his own path, become his own, you know, become his father's son, but still be his own man. And by the time you get to the very end, it's a very, very satisfying conclusion. It's a so- satisfying. Oh, good. Is the, I I think you sort of said this, I'm asking you to restate it a little bit. So you're saying the main plots summed up two issues ago, and then these last two issues, they carry it for like, they carry the story of the daughter forward and the story of that illegitimate son. Yeah. The last two issues before this one were more about like, well, what now? And it's kind of just the winding down because there was, there were some big moments that happened in kind of that last big arc that you're like, well, what happens to this character? This character. And then this last issue is really about the core family of Mark, his wife and these, and these two kids and really what they do and where they go from here. And you can imagine that, you know, if Kirkman wanted to, he could write 200 more episodes or 200 more issues around these two kids, but he's not going to. So he gives you kind of a flash forward of like, in fact, I'll show you, there's one really cool scene where um, I don't know if you can see this, his daughter, um, you get to see kind of in just two pages, his daughter flash Mm. forward through, you know, five, 10, 20 years of her life and what happens along the way. So you get your, you're sort of exposed to different little mini stories that, you know, again, could be arcs, could be issues, but you just get little glimpses. So it's really sad. I mean, they, he did such a great job to tie it all together and cool. just give you kind of, a, if you're a fan of the series, you will love this issue. If you haven't read the series, shoot, pick it up because you'll get to, you'll get to gleam a lot of things and you'll be like, well, who's this? Who's this? It will really make you want to go back and, and realize all the things that led to that moment. It's kind and of it's, a cool. Yeah. And it sounds cool like it's not spoilers for the main arc because this is yeah. just tying up the loose ends. Yeah. So is it, uh, there's, so you, there's no chance that they're going to continue the story like with the daughter or the I son. I mean, if, if Robert Kirkman in five to 10 years is like, I want to go back to Invincible again, he certainly could. Yeah. Um, he has, he has stated in the letter section at the end, you know, he wrote his big, you know, farewell and it's like, this is done now. And, but yeah, if he ever wanted to, or if somebody else wanted to come in, if he wanted to license it and, you know, hire a new writer to carry it on, they totally could. Um, it's not like it's, it's forever, ever done, but it's, it's, it's closed enough to where you're like, if this is all they ever do again, it's totally fine. Like gotcha. you, you, the story as we known it this entire time is over, but more stories can, can follow. So have you read the entire series? 
No, 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 no. I've read probably half of the series. Like the original, I'm, I'm actually not a fan of the first, you know, 20, 30 issues because the art's a little sloppy. Mm-hmm. Um, they really lock in on it and they kind of figure out their thing about issue you know, 17 or 18. Um, and frankly, some of the some of the earlier arcs just aren't as interesting as, you know, once they go out into space and once Mark has embraced sort of his heroism and his powers and you get, to, you get more into the mythology of who the Viltrumites are, then it gets really fun. I think those first issues are almost too, it's too introductory for me. And this world is so big and mm. there are so many interesting, colorful characters. You really want to jump in when they're all present. Do you get the feeling they knew where they were going from those early issues and it just took them a while to get there? I think Kirkman, and I haven't read any interview or letter from him on this, but I think he had, you know, loose outline, but like any good creator, it, you want to leave yourself enough wiggle room, you know? So he might've, he might've planned a year ahead or an arc ahead, but I, I really don't know if he ever sat down and said, well, by the end of this whole series, Mark will be here. His father will be here. Like, I don't, I mean, there's no way he could have even known this was going to last, you know, 10 issues, let alone 144. Um, so it's just a matter of like doing things that keep it interesting, keep it engaging to you as a creator. And I think all you know, as he's been wrapping it up, he's had a plan and he's yeah. been executing that plan. But I, if you look at the whole thing, there's a lot of twists and turns. So it makes me wonder, or it makes me believe that he's you know kind of let the muse take him where it will. Well, is it? Guy, um, uh, I, I totally lost what I was gonna. <laughs> but, oh yeah, you had mentioned that the art, um, you know, was sort of not to your, your you know taste in the early on was it the same artist throughout or does it change several times it's it's mainly the same couple people but there's a couple i've noticed when i first got into the series i was digging and then all of a sudden the art changed a little Mm -hmm. bit and i was like not a lot but enough to i was like what happened here and then they came back to the same the same guy to to finish it out um there is a it's funny. I think in this last issue, he splits the duties up amongst all the all the uh, the ar- uh, artists who've been there the whole time. So Ryan Otley does. He's the penciler on pages one to twenty four. Corey Walker's the penciler on pages twenty five to forty eight. Mark Morales is the inker on pages one through twenty four. Nathan Fairbrain, colorist. I mean, it's he brings everybody, and the credits page is pretty long. Um, so it's kind of a nice way to bring everybody back in. You know, make you know show you the family one final time on the creative side, and and then cap it off. Cool. So, uh, yeah. So you want to jump into oblivion song? Yeah. So, so that's the ending of, of, of this crazy series and oblivion song is the beginning of a whole new one. So this is issue number one. Um, and it's by Robert Kirkman and then Lorenzo de Felici is the artist on this. And it's, uh, I'll point this out in the letters pages, uh, Kirkman mentioned, He's been thinking about this book for years, um, plotting it out, but he never quite knew how to handle it until he met, um, De Felici as the artist. And then that, that synergy of writer and, and artist really started clicking. Um, and then they, they took off. It reminds me a lot of what I've heard again, going back to Hickman Hickman mentions that when he met Dragada, Nick Dragada, East of West really took off because it East of West is really a, a uh, tag team between the two of those guys. It's not like Hickman just writes stuff and hands it to Dragada. It's very much a collaborative creative project. So this feels very much the same way um, in oblivion song. And they also have the entire next year already done. So they're right now, as we speak, they're working on issue 13, um, which is great to know because then this you you have some some confidence that, you know, at least for the next 12 months, there will be something to pick up if you get into the series. And he's also mentioned that by the time when they get to issue 30, the plan is to have this book evolve so that it feels completely different and the story and scope are much bigger and totally different from where we're starting here in issue one. Um, so that said, the story is pretty standard. Um, basically, an unexplained event, at least unexplained as of right now, event happened years ago and pulled several people in a city into this sort of bizarro Cronenberg kind of world. It reminds me a lot of the uh, of Cronen world from Rick and Morty, if you've ever seen that. And so a bunch of people from a city are pulled in. They just disappear one day and they arrive in this crazy world that's got, you know, buildings and stuff from their, their city, but it's, it's filled with these just disturbing Cronenbergian kind of Lovecraftian monsters and they're stuck there. And a defunct, now defunct in the story, 
government agency has been working to go, you know, to, to go into that world and rescue people and, 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 you know, create a humanitarian effort. So when we start the story, that agency, like the people have been in this, in this Cronin world for a while now. And the actual agency has, has lost its funding because at this point, everybody thinks that, you know, people on our side think that everybody on the, in, you know, in the upside down, if you will, they've, they've just died and we should just give up on them. They've even uh, erected this crazy memorial that has all the names of everybody who's been missing. So this, this defunct agency is still operating. It's like three or four people. And we see uh, a, a, a kind of a masked guy in a coat with a gun, you know, a rifle gun. It looks like he's hunting the people in this in this you know al- alternative world. But what he's doing is shooting them with a tracker that can zap them back to our world because they're so scared and kind of feral that they don't. You can't really reason with them, so they're trying to like bring them back that way. So the story opens up with him and his crew bringing back a married couple, reuniting them. You know, they, they send them to the hospital. The TV crews come out like, Hey, these are the first people we've seen rescued in years. You know, maybe there are still people over there. They reunite them with their family. And then the guy, the main kind of guy who's, who's our protagonist, he goes to that memorial and start and chisels out that their names because they've been saved. And everybody's telling him like, you can't do that. You're every time you do that, you give everybody else hope that you can bring their family and loved ones back. Um, you know, he's using that moment as, as a way to, to try to get funding for their efforts again. All the meanwhile, you realize one of his core motivations is to go to the other side and get his brother who disappeared in the original sort of event or occurrence. And so he's been frantically, every time they go over, he's hoping he can find his brother Usually he ends up finding other people and then, you know, this, he tries again the next time and the next time. You realize too that the technology that lets them cross over is really old and dingy. And there's, it's not guaranteed how much longer they can do this without some serious money and, and manpower and brain power behind it. I mean, it's a really small little Mission Impossible kind of operation uh, when the story starts. And then uh, the book ends, spoilers, but this is issue one. So, I mean, what are you going to do? The book ends with him going back over again and, uh, you know, trying to find his brother. He can't, he disappears. And you realize his brother is actually the leader of the resistance on the other side. And so mm-hmm. it, it ends with him, the brother standing there, like wondering who this other guy is, not realizing that they're related because they never really see his face when he goes, when our main guy, when our main character goes over, he's, you know, he's got a, a mask on so he can blend in and hide from the monsters. Um, so it's not, it's, you know, he's not just walking around like he's, you know, Hey everybody, you know, it's, it's, it's very much like being in a war zone. Like he's, he's got to get in and out without getting killed. Um, and so there's still these people over there. They're being led by his brother and things have been set in motion. You know, you, you think it's probably about their relationship, but my guess is it's going to be about so much more. You get a sense, uh, that the politics surrounding, both our world, you know, on this side and the effects of having lost all these people, as well as what do we do with the survivors? Like after so much time, can we still devote man hours and time and money and attention to, you know, rescuing people? Like you, you get a sense that that's probably the bigger picture that we're working on and that other characters will come and go to tell that story. Um, so it's really interesting. There's, it, it leans into some of Kirkman's, you know, survival, uh, storytelling from walking dead. You know, there was, I, I got a sense that I was sort of seeing maybe the next walking dead kind of story begin. Um, but it also has some really, I guess those political things and the fact that, um, you know, like there's, it's not quite clear who's, you know, there's a lot, there's a thousand shades of gray. It's not quite clear who's good or bad. I, I like that too. And I, I think, you know, Kirkman does well kind of playing in that muddy, muddy middle area character wise. Well, it's uh, when I Googled it, I, I see all these headlines about the it being an apocalypse tale. Is it? Yeah. Do you really get the feeling that it's an apocalypse, or is it more like just a supernatural event, like a Stranger Things upside down kind of thing? It's more like I would say it's more the latter. You know, the what mm-hmm. happened to the people, and obviously, when you go to the other world, it is very apocalyptic. But it's not. You don't get the sense that that's intruding on our world. You know, in any kind of final way. At it's least not like there's guess. a clock ticking down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, but what you do find out, and this, this is probably a crucial point towards the end, you meet another survivor or two who have been brought back, who've been here for a while. And you can tell that, you know, having been in that side of the, you know, that in that reality, there's something not quite right with them. Um, They, I think the title Mm. oblivion song refers to when one of the characters says, when I was over there, there was something about like, I, I, I was still, and I could just hear like all the insects and monsters kind of 
simultaneously creating this, this frequency or this vibration that sounded like music. And I think that's you know, where the title Oblivion Song is going to ultimately take us. But as I, it's really less, you know, it's not the end of the world so much as, um, you know, what does the world do when something this tragic and horrific happens? You know, how do we cope? How do we, how do we deal with the survivors and survivors guilt? How do we, as a group of people, like, for example, there's still, I mean, think about all the tragedies that happened last year, whether they be floods or, you know, um, fires or, you know, all the things that we've just forgotten about. And those people are still there having to deal with the aftermath, you know, having to deal with, Hey, my, my, my home is gone. Like, and the media just moved on, you know, the TV cameras are gone. Those people still have to figure out their life. And this really kind of leans into that idea. Like how do we, you know, even something so horrific, like if, for example, if Yellowstone was to blow up, you know, the caldera was supposed to, you know, was to blow tomorrow. You reading this book, you kind of think, well, yeah, the America will, will, you know, that will be terrible for a good, you know, year or two. But at some point we may move on from even that, like that may even something that horrible, you know, I could even, you know, if, if there's any country left after that, like, you know, London, maybe it's, oh, well, you know, that happened. Does Upwards it, and onwards. Does it, um, I mean, it's really shitty first- person. In this first issue, do you get the sense that it's uh, he's using this story to tell like a, an analogous story to our present circumstances or something like that? Not really. Okay. No, I mean, really, just may... like supernatural fantasy kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, at some point that might reveal itself. I mean, this is just issue one, right, so there's course. not really. I don't really get that sense yet. Um, but again, there's there's a lot of layers here and a lot of threads he can pull you know, you're sort of introduced to some, some ancillary characters who might end up being really important later on. Um, and he's just, you know, Kirkman's really, really good at just kind of setting the stage and putting things here and then making you kind of forget about them. And then he brings them back in a really cool way. So the fact that they have this planned out, I think this will be some really good focused storytelling for at least the first year. Um, the art by the way, is really, really fun. Um, it's got sort of a, you know, it's got a walking dead kind of vibe, but it's a different artist. So it's, it's got its own thing. It's not black and white, but the colors are really, really vibrant, really good. Like the palettes, you know, when they're in the other world, the palettes are all, you know, kind of green, greenish blue. And then when they're in the, um, you know, when they're in our world, it's, it's much more like, you know, uh, you know, vibrant looks, looks a lot like, um, reminds me a heck of a lot of, uh, uh, tale of sand, which is another book we reviewed, uh, earlier. So it looks a lot like that. So if you're into that kind of Eisner-esque art or that sort of, you know, very, you know, flowy kind of art, you'll really like this too. Um, for some weird reason, it reminded me also of, uh, the way they do the monsters, uh, in the other, in the upside down or Cronin world, as I'll keep calling it, the way they do the monsters reminds me a lot of black science, which is a book I know Ooh. you like. It just had that sort of vibe to it. So if you're a black science fan, I would say maybe check this out too. <laughs> great. <laughs> That's like a great recommendation for me. Yeah. That's perfect. So you had also mentioned uh, that they're working on issue 13. Yeah. Um, do you, in the way that Kirkman writes, um, uh, does he, does it, is an arc 12 issues versus like six, which is uh, kind of normal. I am not actually, I haven't paid attention to that enough to mm. know. Um, I've actually like what I've consumed of Kirkman has always just been kind of free flow. Like I haven't like sat down, like Hickman's yeah. my guy. So like Hickman, I could answer that question, but like Kirkman, I'm not really sure. So oh, okay. I'll, I'll report back as it, I'm going to, I'm going to stick to the series until it disappoints me. And then I'll, I'll keep reporting back. Hmm. I wonder if Kirkman just writes like a book every day and then just sort of sends them to an artist. And he's like, <laughs> you, you handle it from now on. I don't know, man, but he talks <laughs> in the letters pages here about the monthly grind. And, um, oh, God, I don't know, man. I, again, he does the walking dead. That alone would be enough for, for one person just that but we could, would consume everything, especially how given how successful it is. You know, and then he's also, you know, an executive producer on the TV show. He's yeah. also a partner at image. He's all, so it's just like, I would love to just see a 24 hour day of his and just to know how he does it. Yeah. I, I, I can, I can barely handle one podcast a week. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. Anyways, what is your pick this week? Sir? Well, we couldn't have a better segue <laughs> because I have chosen <laughs> black science. <gasps> number six. Yeah. 
Perfect. And again, uh, those of you listening, we don't know each other's picks ahead of time. It's always that's oh, part yeah. of the fun is that we sort of find out on the spot. So if you're listening to this or if you see the covers, <laughs> we don't know. So it's really fun to to sync up like this. We're getting closer to the singularity, which yep. will be <laughs> that day that one of us announces his pick and then the other one screams in delight on the other end because he has picked the same thing. And then we yep. just do an hour on one book. Yep. yep. Um, it's coming. I know it is. And I think I yeah, know yeah. what it's going to be too. We've gotten really close. Cause like we did a back to back. I always think of this uh, when I see Scotty young on my shelf that we did a back to back where like we did two different episodes in a day. And mm-hmm. in one episode I'd pick a Scotty young thing. And in the next episode you'd pick Scotty young thing. So mm-hmm. sorry, sorry for that. Uh, 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 derail, but, um, anyway, yeah. So I've been reading uh black science. We've talked about it in other podcasts. I meant in preparation for this to go look up what episodes those would be, but I didn't do that. So <laughs> you can just dig through our playlists and try to find those episodes. Um, but I think in the past we've talked as we've talked like in a more, uh, catch up kind of style, you know, I'm like, Oh, I'm still reading this and here's where we are. Um, I don't know that I've ever given a big, um, uh, overview of it. And, uh, because I, this is also one of those rare times where I've picked volume six of something and not volume number one. So I got to give you a little catch up. Um, basically, uh, black science involves, uh, it centers on a man named Grant McKay and uh, his children <clears throat> and a couple of partners. He considers himself sort of an anarchist scientist. He works for this big company, uh, Block Industries, I think is what it is. It's it's Mr. Block that is that owns this. Um, and he has created something that he calls the pillar, which allows people to, uh, his team of dimensionauts to jump through different dimensions. Hmm. Um, and so that is, uh, it's represented in all this artwork. This right here is the, the onion sort of um, symbol of the dimension knots that they all wear on their, uh, on their uniforms. And I wish I'd remembered to put mine on because I have one. Um, oh, they, and, uh, they sell swag. Do they? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, but anyway, so he, in, in uh, volume one, um, Grant and his team uh, jump. So he, it's like himself, uh, his two children, um, his uh, lover, not his wife, uh, and then another couple members, and then sort of one of the business people that's associated with Block that's that's trying to constantly trying to take credit for what Grant does, okay. um, and things go badly instantly, and they have to jump out of the world that they've landed in, and they're unable to, you know, get the coordinates back to their own world. And then they j- jump again because things go badly. And, and he starts losing his team either to injury or death, or they just get separated and someone has to make a jump. There's like a malfunction in the pillar at one point where it's just jumping every hour. And so if they're not back in the location altogether with it, you know, so if one of them gets dragged away, they have to go get that person to bring them back. And mm. so it, the first two volumes of this series have this breakneck pace for a comic book. Like it, I mean, I, I, you know, it was like sat down and could not contain myself just, just reading through them like as fast as possible because it's, it's like, Oh my God, you've got to, you know, you've got to solve this. And it, it felt like it was being set up. Uh, like a thriller. And even though I believe I uh, maybe, you know, I, I didn't at the time associate it with something like the Martian, but it, it felt very much like that cinematic sort of version of a thriller. The <clears throat> Martian is a really, you know, um, deliberately paced. I would say it's not necessarily slow, but it's very even uh, tempo, you know, but there's still an emergency at the end of it. You know, he's, he's going to run out of food. Um, and this felt like there's a, a huge emergency right now and they have got to solve it. And so <clears throat> along the way, there are all these um, consequences of like Grant's philosophy or the way he lived his life or, you know, what he was doing to his children or this, this woman that he was uh, having an affair with, who's not his wife. And, um, you know, and, and there, you know, there are personal complications. There were sort of philosophical complications as he thought of himself as this anarchist who was, you know, sort of beyond the law. And although he worked for this corporation because he had to, you know, had to pay the bills, had to feed his children. Um, and, uh, every jump 
he made things worse, mm-hmm. you know, like something, some choice he made pretty much makes everything terrible. And so there, there's like a, there's a, you know, there's a, we've gotten to the point now with volume six where each arc I, not necessarily focuses on one character, but you know, the, you'll, uh, uh, it, it's just interesting. They're not, they're not sort of zipped up, uh, they're not airtight, but you could probably pick up any volume knowing just that premise that they are dimension trying to get back home using this pillar to jump through. You could probably pick up any volume and get it, you know, like you could probably enjoy that story there, but it's not airtight. Like this is the intro to the story and this is where it ends. And, and you know, when the next volume, something else is going to happen. They do sort of leak over a little mm-hmm. bit. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> I reread volume five when I got six and then uh, read six, you know, pretty soon after to make sure that I w- was tracking. Um, and at the end of volume five, um, uh, so some spoilers here, if you haven't read any of these punch out, um, but before you do, let me show you some of this art by, uh, Mateo Scalera, um, which is just like, I love this art and it's definitely not for everyone. I mean, I think, I think Taylor thinks uh, this is not art that you sort of jump into. Um, but, but let's be clear. It's not that I don't respect it. I just, oh, it's yeah, yeah. personal preference is just not quite, although I'm looking at this now and this looks pretty great. Very wow. angular, very colorful, like a lot of sharp lines. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway. So it, uh, yeah. So in uh, volume five, um, we follow his daughter who has gotten separated from the group and has become engaged to a God. <laughs> wow. And <laughs> this God uh, and his, his people are in the midst of um, like an elaborate peace treaty with the other people of their world. Mm-hmm. And uh, Grant hops, you know, on his, his pillar, he's not with them. He's just jumping like an asshole and he destroys their peace treaty, which is represented in this physical thing. And he breaks it and it, you know, screws everything up. Then he gets drunk at a dinner where they're trying to make peace and makes a fool of himself. Um, and uh, so he is, he has to redeem himself. And now his daughter Pia thinks, you know, she's just like, I, you ruin, you ruin everything you touch. I've finally figured out my life. I'm happy on this world, wherever I got stuck and you show up here and start messing everything up. Mm. So he decides to redeem himself and he's heard that there's this one artifact they have to claim from this witch. So he goes out on the solo quest to find this. There's a lot of backstory for volume five (laughs) in the course of finding this. He does retrieve the artifact. Pia does show up to, to save his butt after he is, uh, you know, compromised and, and almost killed out here in return though. He has to take it from this, witch. he has to give her his intellect. So the guy who has invented dimension hopping has to give this witch everything that he knows and, and in, not just his knowledge, but his actual intellect. So he's sort of, you know, not himself anymore. Like he is just a, uh, I mean, I hesitate to say like a dumber version of himself, but he just, he's just not all there, but he's not, uh, he's not ill. It's not like something, you know, is wrong with him. He just can't think of, science like he used to. Um, so at the end of that book, they have jumped back to their earth. They have fi- found their way back to their home, but just uh, Grant and his daughter Pia. And as, as book five ends, Mr. Block shows up, takes Grant prisoner, <clears throat> uh, locks him up in a holding cell in a straitjacket, And Pia finds out that this manipulative executive that had gone with them on the first hop, um, Kadir has now moved in with her mom (laughs) whom Grant was cheating on. And so, and, and Pia and the uh, pillar's gone block confiscates the pillar. So there's no way she can jump back to her fiance, the God. So she is stuck with her mother, this guy that she hates. That's this corporate shill for the block industries. Um, And so volume six opens in those circumstances. So I've got two clarifying questions. Oh yeah. Yeah. If I was listening, I'd be like, wait a second, wait a second. Now you may have mentioned this and I just didn't quite grasp it. Do uh, they can't come back to the base reality, right? Like the, the base reality is what they're trying to get back home to much like sliders or quantum leap, right? Is that the right way to think about it? 
it's it's um you know the peeling of the onion has mm-hmm. uh, prevented that in uh, you know they use the onion metaphor but it's also that butterfly effect thing like mm-hmm. as soon as he hopped through the first dimension as soon mm-hmm. as they all did <clears throat> they changed things not only on the world where they landed but on their own world and every you know what a theme that's reinforced throughout the series is every choice you make is like a million you know there's there's an alternative version of you making every other choice that you could have made in an infant mm-hmm. series of universes. And now these are, and these are like parallel dimensions, right? It's not like they're sort they're, of, it's not like they jump. They definitely don't jump earth to earth. They jump to a different planet, but on that planet, it will be parallel in the sense that uh, for example, uh, in volume six, we find out that in um, Grant's absence uh, block himself and Kadir they they have been jumping with their own dimensionauts who are now just craven corporatists like greedy mm-hmm. you know capitalists so they've been jumping to dimensions pilfering all their resources and then jumping back to our world and distributing those as they see fit monetizing them as they see fit that kind of thing so they've become you know incredibly wealthy and powerful and one of the details we discover is that block has assembled the council of blocks and each <laughs> sort of doppelganger of block who's not a precise copy but the version of block on that world that he's jumped to they are all sort of the trade ministers for those worlds so there's this um in fact i think that uh, uh page that i flipped to was was he has this sort of underground you know gentlemen's club sort of thing with these like exotic dancers who are alien races and then all of these different mr blocks all around and I wonder if uh, I wonder if Rick and Morty borrowed some of this from from that too, because it sounds an awful lot like, like the Citadel of Ricks oh. in Rick and Morty, where it's like the Council of Ricks and the Citadel of Ricks, and it's sort of. And in fact, I wonder because a lot of Rick and Morty too is he's got a trans-dimensional gun that they can go. Mm-hmm. They can't time travel, but he can go into different realities uh, at will. But going back, where I'm still confused is on the home. Uh, what's that? Oh, uh, sorry. Go ahead. What I'm still confused by is how do they know they're affecting uh, reality from the base, the base dimension or the base reality? Like if they can't get home, how do they know that things are changing? Well, I, I guess that's probably not emphasized that much. It's mm. just that um, we, we definitely know when we catch up in volume mm. five, when they go back home and we find out that, you know, the series of events, it, it's not so much, um, uh, you know, it's not a subtle butterfly effect. It's okay. more like Grant stabbed Kadir when they were, <laughs> when they had done that first hop. And so now Kadir, who had been in a relationship with Grant's wife before Grant met her and married her has, you know, he's returned from that dimension. Grant's gone with their children and he has this, you know, he's hanging on to life and she's the only one to visit him in the hospital. So he has this giant scar to say, your husband is this, evil man that tried to kill me. So mm. Grant can never return to everything being mm. like it was. I and then, on, and then okay. on top of that block has been hopping dimensions with no regard for any, you know, ethical, no ethical considerations or anything like that. So, uh, so that's what we find out in, in volume six, which takes place on the, on this earth. Like they are back on their earth or not. This they, they made it, they make it home by this point. <clears throat> so in, in five, they jump back to their earth. Uh, and that's when Grant is captured and Pia, you know, just has to go live with her mom and Kadir because the pillar has gone and she can't jump back to the world where her fiance is. So she's trying to make like a normal life for herself, you know? And yeah. Uh, anyway, so in volume six, they um, it's, it picks up with Fee, uh, Pia having this, this very, you know, normal life, resenting her sort of stepfather figure. Uh, And then her, this uh, device that she has that would always locate each of them Mm -hmm. goes off. And she says, this is impossible. She only kept it as a souvenir, but it has to be her brother who she's Mm -hmm. been searching for across many, many dimensions. So uh, she starts following. It's like a GPS kind of unit Uh, goes down on the subway uh, you, you know, it's like one of those things where she's in a cab and she's like, stop right here. And then she has to go down the subway and then she realizes, oh, now I've got to jump on the tracks and follow the tracks down. And then she, you know, finds like a, uh, a little crevice in the wall and she squeezes between the crevice and it's leading her the whole way. And then she finds 
one of their party who had been with them, actually two of their party that had been with them in prior adventures uh, who have become possessed by these aliens that are sort of gaseous uh, creatures. They're sort of like little ghosts that just mm-hmm. swim into a body and then possess it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and she's watching them sacrifice a whole bunch of babies. And she realizes all of a sudden, all these babies are now those new hosts for these, this oh creature. My God. And okay. so, yeah, of course. So then her, you know, her phone rings, they hear it. Um, she starts running uh, she, of course she's begun this because she believes it's her brother that she's going to find. She doesn't mm-hmm. think it's going to be the other dimension that were possessed by this, this race of creatures. Um, but at that moment she does run into her brother <laughs> okay. and her brother, uh, it tells her in a very deadpan way. Well, I'm a superhero now. <laughs> Wait now, is this, what I can do. Is this her real brother or is this an alternative dimension? Brother it is. It is her real brother who was with her. And that actually, that's a great point because there is a whole issue where they continually run into different Grant McKay's mm-hmm. who are all trying to correct their mistakes. So I guess in answer to your question of like, how do we know um, everything they do ripples out? It's because in an earlier issue, we've run into this thing where like, a different Grant McKay shows up and knocks out the Grant McKay that we've been following all along. Mm. And we just know it's him because he has sort of the same face shape, but this one will have a beard and that one won't. And he'll have a different, mm. you know, dimension on outfit on it anyway. So, uh, so Pia is uh, rescued by this uh, and then they all storm off. Um, he, he has a couple of, uh, he has one like sort of alien creature with him. And then he has another person who was in their party who had, um, I guess, become paralyzed. And so to <clears throat> to fix him, they've put him in this sort of floating, like little, you know, monopod spaceship sort of thing where he can just sort of fly around, you know, in open air uh, and not have to use his legs. Um, and they, they dub, they, in one scene, they dub themselves the Anarchist League of Scientists. But um, then a moment later, you discover that they are, uh, what's their appropriate name uh the legion this is the best one this is the best superhero uh outfit i've ever heard of the legion of ethical champions <laughs> so of course like as Hello, soon, true believers like, welcome as, to the legion yeah. of ethical tramp champions as soon as they are reunited uh the tables turn again and the witch from episode five who has captured her father's intellect shows up and, and starts attacking them. And it's like, you know, she doesn't get to, to spend any quality time with her brother. And that is how this entire series has gone where every time Grant, you know, makes some progress, it is like just totally taken away from him. And it's hard to say, I don't know that I want, you know, a, a comic book where they're all, the family's all reunited, just watching TV and eating dinner would not be interesting. But there is yeah, definitely but you, but, a, a, there's co- a constantly like prolonged, you know, uh, postponed satisfaction to this because every time it seems like at happens, some point, yeah, I was gonna say it seems like at some point I would be frustrated with like, okay, if they're never gonna, and maybe maybe this is the same thing with people who love The Walking Dead. I'm like, at some point, all the misery on The Walking Dead has to mean something. Yeah, but if it never, if if all we're seeing is just everybody dying, it's just more and more miserable. What's the point? Exactly. And I kind of feel like this is if like if they're never gonna show us, uh, give us a morsel, even if you have to take it away again, give us something. Because I let me back up even further. What would you say is sort of the main one or two overarching? main story arcs that we should be concerned with in all of black science that this kind of dovetails off of such a great question because my answer is, um, and hopefully thoughtfully on this point, my answer is none. You shouldn't be concerned about any of these, these plots anymore. Okay. Because at this point, it's just clear that like, at least to me, it's, it's, it's gone so far, you know, the first three volumes at least, I think felt like there is a resolution we're aiming towards. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of went a little weird and then it just became like, Oh, this is going to be a lot weirder and just focus on a couple of characters. And I thought, Oh, that's what we're going to get is we're going to get sort of like five books that focus on different characters. And then this episode happened and I went, okay, now they're bringing sort of superheroes into it. And I like their take on it. I enjoy the humor and calling it the Legion of ethical champions and things like that. But I, I just think it's clear, like they're not, there's no point in hoping that any 
thread gets resolved because mm. they're they're having fun with that whole unraveling of all like as soon as you put a thread back together they unravel it in a different way and things are more complicated so so to kind of reverse your question that you asked me does this seem like that they are just again like kirkman just letting the muse take them wherever it goes in this sort of platform of story or do you think that it's like oh no no they have a plan and this is just this is just a middle part of the plan i mean which because and and both are totally fine right like one of my favorite things about comics is that you can have you know, stories that are very methodically planned out that are, you know, like BBC, you know, series, it's like one and two and we're done. And then you can have others that can just go and go and go. And it's just, it is a, it's almost like free form jazz. It's creative exploration. This, this well, almost- And that's sort of how we used to approach, you know, uh, like TV, you know, and other yeah. comic books, like, you know, yeah. Batman just was a comic book that just ran forever and there'd be arcs, but it just kept going. Um, so there's definitely something in us as an audience in the past, you know, decade that we've become accustomed to expecting things to have a nice little bow tied on them, whether that's a satisfactory ending or not. It's just, it's sat- whether it's a happy ending or not, it is a satisfactory mm-hmm. ending. I mean, it's the, it's the lost conundrum, you know? Yeah. And I wrote, you know, when I was writing my notes the other day, I said, I, this just looks like it's not going to happen. Each volume is a new episode that builds on the complications of before, but gets mm. them more lost. Mm. And so I'm just expecting this to wrap up is like expecting George Martin to actually write those last two <laughs> books. It's just fruitless. But it, but it, it's a hopeless task. I mean, it's as, just. As you were saying, just, just the comment just now, it made me almost think of the metaphor of. Um, you know, somebody on a, on a, on a stranded desert Island and the, the, the tide keeps just pushing you back out further mm-hmm. and further. And no matter wh- how hard you try to get back to that Island, you just get pushed out even further. And that struggle and that sort of, you know, how you adapt to that seems to be more of the theme of this, this story couched in things like san- fantasy, science fiction, etc. A-, a few volumes ago, there was a real deep dive into like, um, Grant's family life and him trying to come to terms with all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> it wasn't so much that that bothered me. I didn't really like that arc, but what bothered me was then in subsequent, you know, then, then he, you know, you feel like he got his shit together and mm-hmm. he goes, destroys this peace treaty that his daughter's at where she's finally made a life for herself. And I, I, I just kind of, you know, just sort of shrugged in volume five and went, you know, it, this guy makes everything worse mm-hmm. and there's no it's that thing of like you're not i'm not i'm in no way rooting for grant at all like mm-hmm. if you actually want it, to it, it's like kylo ren i don't want, like kylo ren can never be redeemed in my eyes he yeah. can like I, he can't become a good guy you yeah. know maybe he can do some things that that make us change our opinion of him i think that happened in the last jedi but you can't just fully redeem him and give him a blue lightsaber and he's the new Obi-Wan. Like it's, that just should not happen. And that should not happen with Grant. I just don't, he's ruined literally thousands of worlds. Does he become, does he become the villain? Well, I think, I think that is kind of, you know, that actually that, that we've talked ourselves around into a theme. (laughs) Thank you. Um, I think that is the theme is that Mm -hmm. this guy that pretends, you know, that, that, that aspires, not pretends, but aspires to be this anarchist that's sort of pure and free from all, uh, you know, all the corporate constraints and, and normal, you know, human behaviors, it's just going to end up looking just like the villain. Mm. You know, I mean, it's like Kadir in, it looks like, I mean, there's some bad things he does in this volume, uh, but it's mostly about just taking credit for work he hasn't done. But mm. in all other respects, he starts to look like kind of a stand up guy. You know, he actually, the one of the reasons the pillar started malfunctioning is because Kadir sabotaged it. But Kadir sabotaged it because he realized Mr. Block is going to use this for terrible, nefarious purposes. And I, I need him to convince Grant screwed it up, mm. you know, um, or at least if we believe Kadir's story, that's what happened. So it's yeah. uh, to me that I think that's maybe the overarching theme, but it does feel at this point, six volumes in that they're just going to run until the ideas run out. And I just don't know if I'm, on board for that. You know, it's kind of hard. Every time I get a new volume, I have to go back and read the previous volume. And and then I sort of go, Oh yeah. Didn't I give up on the last volume? <laughs> so I, I, you know, it's like, but it keeps I, sucking I, you back in. There's gotta be exactly this. Really yeah. The writing is, that's, yeah. <laughs> writing and art is superior. I, I really enjoy it when I'm in it, but um, I, it's hard to just care about the overarching story. You know, 
I will reverse something I said in a previous episode when we first talked about black science a year or two ago. I had mentioned the art didn't really just do it for me. But I'm looking at um, the latest sort of uh, pages from uh, page from issue 34, which came out in January. And it looks great. Yeah. Like it looks really good to the point where I may even pick up volume seven. I know that's not what your review is, but volume seven comes out next week. And I may even pick that up just based on what I'm seeing right now. Like it, the art looks really good. I don't know why it didn't work for me the first time. And maybe it's earlier volumes or earlier issues weren't as, as refined. I don't know, yeah. but like, it looks really, I mean, it looks neat. And just hearing you sort of talk about, I, I like, I don't know. I, I like stories where the characters are not clean cut or clear right. cut. I like when you see the complications in a, 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 a character building and, and that changing, evolving based on the circumstances and also based on like really human attributes like greed and love and laziness. You know, like what does that do to a character? And in some ways you can say, well, the virtue of a superhero is to rise above all that. And that's that's why those stories resonate. But I'll, I'll say the things that, and again, the deconstruction of like, you know, Watchmen and Dark Knight, those work for me because you you see those stories pull those people back down as real people again and yeah. again. And maybe they, maybe they course correct and rise back up, but they're always being pulled back down. And I like that struggle because that's the most human thing in the world is to be like, I'm going to try to do my best today. And things happen and you may not. And like, why, how can we, you, know, you feel like you're not alone, but you also feel like, okay, I'm, I can learn something from this. I can incorporate this into my life in a meaningful way. And that's when art really sort of takes a nice stranglehold on you. Um, it's because you're like, oh, I am changing the way I am as a person based on this thing that somebody created. Yeah. And it's like, that's, the, for me, that's the magic of this medium is when that can happen. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to pick up on something else you said. I think that's really well said. And and those are, that's probably why I keep coming back and reading it. You know, mm. um, the, to pick up on something else you said about that art and sort of coming around to looking at these latest issues and going, Oh, that's, you know, it's pretty interesting is that I I've definitely noticed on several comics that I've followed for several volumes over several years that uh, the art itself is a language that you kind of have to learn to read. And you know, it's going to get developed and like, you're going to pick it up later. um, And so, you know, sometimes it hooks you right off. And then sometimes later on, you you see things you don't know, or, you know, the artist has evolved just enough to like match your tastes or, uh, you know, go a little outside of your tastes. It's, I don't know. I just think that's one of those interesting topics that we should always look at, especially when we're reviewing volumes, several volumes deep into a series, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, like, it'd be interesting for me now that you've said that to go back and look at one, two, and three and, and see, can I see a change? I definitely think the, the color palette has, has changed, but I could be wrong. Maybe, yeah. maybe it was just as, uh, you know, just as, I think it's, in the first it looks, time. it looks a little bit more vibrant. It looks a little bit more, I don't know. Like I'm looking at these panels and they look, they look more like cinematic, I guess yeah. that's even the right way to say, it. I don't know if that's even the right. I mean, just there's something about it that really, I mean, this would make a really killer anime series or at least something yeah. in, the, in the vein of like Voltron on Netflix where it's, which similar to this is a sci-fi fantasy sort of mashup to some yeah. extent, you know, you mentioned witches and um, you know, it's like just there's I, more and more. I'm sort of more interested in like, you know, when we've had a whole podcast about what is hard sci-fi, yeah. what is sci-fi, but I like, taking just sci-fi as a platter and just sprinkling on other things, whether they be the Western genre or fantasy or gritty realism, like whatever that is, like I'll take my sci-fi with that extra stuff any day. Yeah. Uh, and one of the enduring like lovable traits of this is that their imagination of different dimensions and planets and alien creatures is phenomenal. Mm. Like it, it is so detailed and expansive and it, it, it's, I, I mean, it's, it's just nuts. Like this is a, it's not developed in that world building. Like they never land on a world long enough to build that world, but there yeah. will still be like a, a whole different set of vehicles that, mm. that some alien race uses and a different set of armor and technology. And every time it's just, it's just pretty mind boggling. You know, they don't, they don't default to a, a normal humanoid creature that looks vaguely alienish, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, <laughs> you make me reconsider my, uh, <laughs> my, my grumpiness about certain elements. 
Oh, that's good. Well, I think we did we did well on Image this week. This is an all Image episode. Oh yeah, it was once again. Which, if you're a fan of the show or a fan of us, you know we are a fan of Image. Uh, yeah. they just keep doing it right. So go on. New Comic Book Day is is tomorrow. We're recording this on a Tuesday. Go pick up. Uh, we're, re- we're releasing it on New Comic Day. That's so. right, which is what we usually do. So pick up Invis- <laughs> Invincible Volume Number One Forty Four. Sorry, issue 144, I'm a little tired. Oblivion Song number one and Black Science volume six. Yeah, and I would say if you like, you know, if you really want to jump into Black Science, granted, it's always great to start from number one, but number five would be a a great preface to number six. I think I might. You you sold me on Black Science this round. I know you've been trying for a little while, but I'm just like, I... I (laughs) I kind of given up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I, I, I may jump in and that's, and it's mainly because like some of my favorite series have actually gone on hiatus for a little too long. So I'm looking oh, for something yeah. like I'm, one of the series I was going to compare this to is uh, nowhere men, um, which also deals with a lot of the same questions around science and commerce and, you know, all those sort of sticky ethical issues only not quite as fantastical as black science, but that series has been on hiatus for way too long. So this would be a nice sort of, um, uh, series to, to drop in its place until until it comes back anyway cool. yeah well until uh people run out and buy these comics where can they find this podcast they can find this podcast on stitcher apple Podcasts, soundcloud google play and wherever fine podcasts are downloaded you can also find us online we are findusthere.org and find us there on social media twitter instagram facebook all those good things great thank you taylor we will catch you next week for another episode of coffee and comics cheers cheers